Amen. Well, we begin this journey this morning, spirit and truth. He is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Every so often, someone will ask me what happened at church today. And it would be terrible to say, not much. Um, But it's a joy to be able to say, when somebody says, what happened at church today, to be able to say, you know, there were some people who got saved today. Uh, There were some people who obeyed the Lord Jesus and believers' baptism today. And then there were just a lot of enthusiasm in the room because enthusiasm means in God. And so there was just a lot of glory and praise and honor to our Heavenly Father. There's nothing like gathering with the local church. And when it comes to worship, you and I know this, that worship is unstoppable. And what I mean by that is there was a time Jesus with his disciples was on the Mount of Olives. They were descending the Mount of Olives, going down toward the Kidron Valley. And the disciples, the Bible says, they were praising him and they were rejoicing him with loud voices. And there were some Pharisees in the group and the Pharisees said this, tell your disciples to be quiet. And then Jesus, descending down the Mount of Olives, looked at some rocks and he said, but the issue is if they're quiet, the very stones are going to cry out as well. You can't stop worship to Almighty God. You can't do it. Here's another question. Nobody really ever asked me this question, but I think it's a wonderful question. As we think about what happened at church today, think about this question. What, what's happening in heaven right now? Imagine that. And you say, well, what is happening? Well, I can tell you from God's word, some things we can only imagine other things we know because of the authority of the word of God and here's what the Bible says in the four living creatures each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around within and day and night what that means is they never stop so day and night they never cease to say or sing as we understand in the Greek text and here's what they're singing they're saying holy 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 is the Lord God almighty who was and who is and who is to come And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on a throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on a throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So in heaven right now, they're just crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. I know in my life and I know in your lives, we have loved ones who are in heaven today and you say, what are they doing in heaven today? Well, they're worshiping the Lord God today. And how comforting that is for you and me. They're worshiping the Lord God Almighty. And we get together on this Sunday morning and we get to do that. To get ready for heaven, we get to praise God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We get to do that. Question comes up. It's another legitimate question as we think about Psalm 150. When you think about worshiping in spirit and truth, how do you define worship? Great, great great thought. I'm going to give you some insight to that. But when I think about how do you define worship, worship is a verb. Verbs have action. So worship is something that you and I do in the Christian life. 
our vision statement of the church. We worship God, something that we want to do. So what are we doing? We're giving him worth because our Heavenly Father is worthy to be worshipped. The truth of worship is God reveals himself to you and me, and then we respond to him. A definition I came across many, many years ago. I was at a, at a conference with Louis Giglio, and uh, Louis gave a definition of worship that just resonated with my spirit because I believe it's very faithful to God's word when you look at what the Bible says about worship. And here's his definition of worship. He just says, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God. And here's the, the rest of it for who he is, what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. That's a big definition of worship, but worship is our response. It's both personal and corporate. It's what I do alone, but it's also what we do together as God's people. And it's to God. We're not seeking to be entertained. We're not worshiping buildings. We're not worshiping traditions. We are worshiping the living Heavenly Father. And so as you and I think about worship, it's our response personal what I do alone, corporate what we do together. It's to God. He's the object focus of our worship. And why are we worshiping? We're worshiping him for who he is and we're worshiping him for what he has done. And we're doing that by what we say, but also by how we live. Wonderful definition of worship. And here's what I know about worship as well in my life, and I've been able to see. I've been able to worship God in, in small, medium, and large church facilities over the years. I've been able to worship the Lord God Almighty in houses, in conference rooms, in convention centers, in performing arts centers. I've been able to adore the Lord God in all those different settings. I've even been able to worship God standing on a street corner, I've been able to worship the Lord God Almighty standing by a tree in the bush area of Africa. And I've been able to worship the Lord God in so many countries around the world. And here's what I can tell you. God-centered worship is not limited by time, location, or style. You may want that to sink in for a moment. It's not just 1030 on Sunday mornings. It's not just in this worship center. It's not whether we're doing contemporary, blended, traditional worship. He's not limited by any of that. The truth of the matter from the Word of God, but reality is this. God-centered worship, Jesus-focused worship, Spirit-led worship is happening all around the world. Even this very day, it's happening around the world. In heaven, but around the world. And so when it comes to the Bible, what does the Bible say about the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth? Uh, there, in a congregation of size, there are many of us who would speak various languages. And here's what I know, too, when you travel around the world and someone's speaking a different tongue than you or me that we would speak in English, I can always identify two words literally around the world. And the first word is the word Amen. Anytime you're around the world, and we saw this in South Asia just a few days ago when they were praying, I didn't really know what they were praying. I knew they were praying with passion and intensity, but I didn't really know their words. And then when they finished their prayer, I always knew when their prayer ended because they said the word amen. It's, it's in English, but it's in their language as well. What does that word mean? It just means so be it. The word amen means I agree with you. In an African-American culture, it means preach it, brother. That's what it means in their language. The word amen. I grew up in a little small rural Southern Baptist church in Kentucky. 
we didn't have a lot of people. But if I walked in our facility, I saw the pulpit in front of me. There was a section to the left, and then there was another section to the right. And the section to the right was known as an amen corner. And then mainly men sat in that amen corner. When the preacher would preach, they would say amen. I remember one sermon our pastor was preaching. He's in heaven today, but I remember where I was at as a young boy, and he was preaching on Philippians chapter 3. He made a statement. He said, one day God is going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. I remember Brother Clifton Jones sitting on the front pew. He was our song leader. That's what we gave him the title back in those days. And I can still hear, he's in heaven today too, but I can still hear him say amen when Brother Frank said that phrase. Oh, by the way, it's okay to say amen in a church service. Yeah, that would have been a great place for all of you to say amen right there. Uh, I teed that one up for you really well. So let me say that again. It's okay to say amen in a church worship service. Amen. Very good. You're quick learners, by the way, too. Really good. So one word is amen. There's another word that you'll hear literally around the world because it's translated the same. We heard it in South Asia literally a thousand times. It's the word hallelujah. Hallelujah. I didn't know what they were saying in those services, but when they said amen and they said hallelujah, I knew exactly what they were saying. Praise the Lord. Because the word literally means to praise the Lord. In Psalm 150, in these six verses, the word hallelujah is used 13 times in these six verses. It's prominent in this. It's talking about the focus of worship. And so as you think about the focus of worship of Psalm 150, there's no question who is the focus of worship. It's the Lord God Almighty. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Psalm 150 is going to teach me and me about many aspects of of worship. So I want you to take your outline. I want us to walk through this here over the next few minutes and uh, just walk with me. Look at number one, the where of praise and worship. Where do you worship him at? Where do you do that at? Psalm 150. Where questions are very appropriate in life. You move to a new city. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to ask many where questions. For example, where do you go to the doctor? Where do you buy your groceries? Where do you do your banking? Where do you go to church at? Uh, we were having lunch on Friday at Chick-fil-A, not far from here. Young lady, we were able to ask her, how can we pray for you? And we asked her a where question, and here it was, where do you go to church? And then we were able to engage her in a conversation, invite her to come and worship with us. That would be a joyful thing if she's here this morning. But we were able to extend an invitation. It's a where question. Where do you go to church? Where do you praise and worship God at? Those are legitimate questions. Now, here's what the psalmist is going to do. He's going to answer that question for us. This is going to be a straight biblical message from Psalm 150. So the where of praise and worship, where do you do it? He gives us two answers to that. One, he says, in his sanctuary. He says, where do you praise the Lord? He says, praise God in his sanctuary. For the Jewish people, they would gather together at the temple. They felt like the presence of God resided in the temple. So they would come together and they'd worship the true and living God in the temple. But we know this. In our day, because Jesus died, he, he sent it back to the Father. He promised he was not going to leave us helpless, but he would send a comforter to us, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't merely reside in this building. The Holy Spirit resides in you and me. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And so as we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, he wants us to worship him. Praise God in his sanctuary. That's even with us. Now here's what I mean by that. When I think about praise him in his sanctuary, Almighty God still wants us to worship personally alone, but he also wants us to gather together as the people of God to worship him. And so whether it's in a worship center, whether it's in a storefront, whether it's in a living room, God wants his people to assemble together for the purpose of adoring and honoring him in life. He is worthy to be worshipped. Now, now as I think about that, when we come together, what are we going to do? Well, one is we're going to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come together, we're going to edify those who are believers in Christ. But when we come together, if someone's in our midst who's not a believer, we're going to evangelize those who are lost. That happens in the context of worship. And church, as we come together and lost people here in our midst this morning, maybe many lost people watching us online, they should see you and me loving the Lord Jesus Christ together. They need to see that. And they need to hear that as well. See us and hear us loving Jesus as his redeemed people who have been born again by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so as we do that, we do that together. What do we praise him? We praise him in his Sanctuary. Look at the second one here. We praise him in his mighty heavens. Now, what does that mean? That just means here, worship is a lifestyle. What that means is when you praise him in his mighty heavens, wherever you go, make sure you worship God. So if you go to work in the morning, let that be a time of worship for you. You go to school tomorrow, let that be a time of worship for you. You, you participate in recreation, let that be a time of worship for you. You go on vacation, let that be a time of worship for you. If you're in town or out of town, if you're inside or outside, if you're alone or with your people, make sure you're worshiping God. Where do you worship him? Well, in his sanctuary, but also in his mighty heavens. Everywhere you go, you should be adoring and worshiping God. When I think about that statement, I'm overwhelmed because of the grace and favor of God on my life. I grew up in a small rural area of Kentucky. And when I think about the grace and the favor of God on my life, God has allowed me to worship him on a golf course in Augusta, Georgia. God has allowed me to worship him in the bush area of Africa. And Almighty God has even allowed me to worship him one morning sitting on the shore of the South China Sea in a communist country. I'm sitting on the shore of that sea with an open Bible adoring the Lord who created that day, gave me life, and called me to be in that place at that very moment. Only God could do that. And so as you think about worship, church, us understand we should never limit worship to a day of the week or to the four walls of a building. We worship him in his sanctuary and in his mighty heavens. Worship is a lifestyle. So the where of praise and worship, well, where do you do that at? Well, he answers that. In his sanctuary and in his mighty heavens. Number two, the why of praise and worship. Why do we do that? Uh, I've been around long enough, and I, I did this to probably my mom and dad as well. We're very good at asking or answering why questions and even asking them. For example, maybe uh, boys and girls in here, here's what your parents say to you. They say, I want you to go take a bath, and what do you often say? Well, why? It hadn't been seven days yet. I take one every seven days. But why do you want me to do that? Well, it's the right thing. We want you to be clean. Go take a bath. Uh, we want you to go to, your, to the bathroom. We want you to brush your teeth. 
Well, why do you want me to do that? Well, we want you to have good dental hygiene. We, we want you to take care of your teeth. We want you to do that. You're sitting around a dinner table and you say to your kids, grandkids, I want you to eat your veggies, make sure your plate is clean. Why do you want me to do that? Well, because we want you to be healthy in life. You need to eat good, healthy food. And here's oftentimes what happens when it comes to God. He speaks into our lives. And what do we often say to him? Why questions? He says to you and me, I want you to spend more time in the word every day of your life. I want you to Look into my face. I want to speak into your life. And oftentimes, what do we say? God, why do you want me to do that? God convicts us and says, I want you to take your giving, tithes, offerings to another level in the Christian life. And what do we say? God, why do you want me to do that? God says, I want you to have more gospel conversations in your life, building bridges with people who need a relationship with me, not barriers, but bridges. And we say, God, why do you want me to do that? We're very good at asking why questions. But why do we worship and praise God? Why do we do that? The psalmist again gives us the answer. Number one, for his mighty deeds. Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. What does that mean? Here's what that means. You praise God for what he's done in history, but you praise God for what he's doing in our lives. You praise and worship the Lord. When I think about what God's done in history, let me just give you some biblical history. In the book of Genesis, Almighty God created the heavens and the earth. And because he is the creator, he is worthy to be praised. In the book of Exodus, our heavenly father is the one who redeems and delivers. And because he redeems and delivers, he is worthy to be praised. In the book of Leviticus, the Bible says God desires our very best. Not what's left over, not what's injured or crippled, but our very best. And because he desires our very best, he is worthy of praise and worship. In the book of Numbers, the Bible gives us insight that every person matters to God. And because your life matters to him, my life matters to him, he is worthy to be praised. In the book of Deuteronomy, it is clear that God cares how you and I live. And because God cares how you and I live, we should praise and worship him. And the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms says, The Lord is our shepherd. We have nothing to fear in life. And because we are sheep, he's our shepherd. We have nothing to fear. He is worthy to be praised in life. In the book of Malachi, the Bible says, You and I will never outgive our Heavenly Father. When we bring the tithe into the storehouse, he opens the windows of heaven. Because of that, he is worthy to be praised. In the Gospel of Matthew, the Bible says our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was born of a virgin. Because of his virgin birth, he is worthy to be praised. In the Gospel of Mark, it's very clear that nothing is impossible with God. And because nothing is impossible with him, he is worthy to be praised and worshipped. In the Gospel of Luke, it talks about the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He went to a cross and gave his life and shed his blood that we could be forgiven and know him in a personal way. And because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is worthy to be worshipped. In the Gospel of John, the Bible is clear about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ is alive. And because he has defeated death and the grave, he is worthy to be worshipped. 
In the book of Acts, it gives us insight about the birth of the church and the movement of the Holy Spirit. And because we are a part of His church, the Holy Spirit is active in our midst. He is worthy to be praised. And the book of Revelation gives us a glimpse into heaven. Many things we could only imagine. But many things we're going to be able to know about what heaven is going to be like. And one day you and I are going to stand face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, he is worthy to be worshipped. So where do you worship? You, you, you worship him for his mighty deeds. What God has done in history, but also what God has done in our lives. Here's why I desire to worship God personally and corporately. Here's why. God created me and given me life. God says from Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Same is true in your life. Listen, I'm saved this morning because of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saved because of good works. I'm not saved because of religious deeds. I'm not saved because of church affiliation. I am saved because of the grace of God in my life. This morning I stand before you as your pastor. This was never a career decision for me. It was never based upon money. It is the call of God on my life. And so I praise him this morning because God has called me in the ministry to serve him. And then as I think about the work of God, every morning I'm in his word, reading what God is saying, following the leadership and direction of the Holy Spirit, and seeking to obey him and lead us to be obedient to him. And because of that, his mighty deeds, I have every reason to praise God in my life. Same is true in your life. We praise him for what he's done in history, but we praise him for what he's doing in our lives now. Look at number two. Why do we praise him? We praise him according to his excellent greatness. You and I serve a great heavenly father. How great their art. And we praise him and worship him this morning. Why? Because of his mighty deeds, but also according to his excellent greatness. Our heavenly father is holy. Our heavenly father is gracious. Our heavenly father is compassionate. Our heavenly father is faithful. Our heavenly father is generous. Our Heavenly Father is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. Nothing is impossible with Him. According to His excellent greatness, we should praise and worship God. That's who He is. That's the, that's the why. Of praise. Why do we praise Him? Well, His mighty deeds. And according to His excellent greatness, He is worthy to be praised and worshipped. Number three, the how of praise and worship. Uh, there are how questions that we have in life, and, and sometimes, uh, for example, uh, I, one of my weaknesses in life is technology. I don't know much about technology. I, I can turn something on, but beyond that, I don't know much. I'm grateful to have people on our ministry team because I'm always asking, now, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this? And they're able to help me. Here's how you do that. Somebody asked me the other day, did Angie work outside the house? And I said, well, no, she takes care of my life. And so I'm able to do what I do because of what she does. She, she knows how to do a lot. And somebody asked me about fixing stuff. Do you know how to do that? And I say, I don't know how to do that. And I'm not even interested in learning how to do that. And so I'm not interested in looking at YouTube and figuring out how to do this or that. Angie is much better at fixing things than I am. She knows how uh, many of those things. I don't know them. And I'm, I'm very content not to ever learn how to do that either. Very comfortable with that. So I thank God for her and what she does so I can do what I'm doing in life. But here's what he's going to say in Psalm 150. He's going to talk about some how things. And here, that's a great question for us in life because you and I need to be asking questions. How can we have a stronger marriage and family? That's a great question to ask. 
You know, how can we develop a budget and live on a budget? That's a great stewardship question. How do we do that? As a church, how do we have unity and how do we follow God's purpose and vision as a church? How do we do that? It's a great question to do that. So in this context, he's going to say about the how of praise and worship. Here's where you do that. Here's why you do that. But here's how you do that. Here's what he says. Number one, with instruments and instrumentalists. He says in this passage, you praise him with trumpet sound. That's the shofar, the call to worship. You praise him with trumpets. You praise him with lute and harp. You praise him with tambourine and then this word dance. You praise him with strings and pipe. He's talking about stringed instruments. You praise him with sounding cymbals, with loud clashing cymbals. That would be large cymbals and small cymbals. You make sure you've got a percussion section. You praise him with all these instruments and instrumentalists. Our Heavenly Father likes the sound of music. And so he says praise him that way with trumpets and lute and harp, strings, tambourine with strings and pipe, loud sounding cymbals with loud clashing cymbals. You, you do all of that with, with these praise and words. That's how you do that. You praise him with instruments and instrumentalists. And then number two, you praise him with appropriate expression. He says in this passage, praise him with tambourine and dance. How many of you grew up watching Happy Days? Now, some of you don't even know what Happy Days is. You just go to YouTube and type in Happy Days. You watch the Fonz. White t-shirt, leather coat, coolest guy on the planet at that time in life. But when you watch the Fonz, he always had trouble saying certain words. When he would get to that point, he'd done something wrong or hurt somebody in some way. He could never really say, I am sorry. He would just kind of murmur those words. I'm afraid at times for us as Baptists, we come to Psalm 150 and we read over this text, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine, and dance. What does it say? We don't want any hard time for us as Baptists to even say that word. What in the world does he mean? dance here's what I want to give you a, a challenge when you read the word of God specifically Psalm 150 and you see this word dance would you ask the heavenly father to make sure your mind doesn't go to some nightclub and it doesn't go to some kind of sexual inappropriate vulgar kind of form of movement that's not what he's talking about when he's talking about dance he's talking about appropriate expression of worship He's worthy for that. Expression is appropriate in worship. Here's what I mean by that. There are times in worship you and I should have joyful smiles on our faces. There are times in worship you and I should have tears running down our face. There are times in worship that we ought to be clapping our hands. Praise God. There'll be times that we're raising our hands because we're just saying, God, how much we love you and adore you. And then there ought to be times in worship we find ourselves literally on our face before him, bowing before him. All of those expressions are appropriate in the book of Psalms. Here's another challenge for us the church. It's easy at times to go to ball games and sporting events and to show a lot of expression and enthusiasm. I've been with people at ball games and sporting events and I'm thinking, who in the world are you? 
what is your personality just turned into? And I've been with those folks, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You're acting like this here. And, and then I've been with those same people, and they wouldn't give the Lord a holy grunt on Sunday morning. Something is wrong with that. Folks, we should never show more expression and enthusiasm at a sporting event than we would in a worship gathering adoring the true and living God who is worthy to be praised, that we're going to spend eternity with him. I remember the first time in my life, I didn't grow up in a, a Baptist culture where we raised our hands in worship. But when I raise my hands in worship, I'm not doing that to draw attention. I'm doing it just because I love the Lord. And the first time I ever raised my hands, I was in California, Saddleback Church, looking at the platform of sitting directly to the left. It was not a modern contemporary song. It was a hymn, How Great Thou Art. And just in the worship, I just sensed the liberty and freedom of the Spirit. How great thou art just to raise my hand and say, God, that is so true. I adore you for your greatness. We're good at raising hands in life. Students do it all the time. The teacher asks a question, and you raise your hand. I know the answer. I only raised mine about one or two times in school because that's the only answers I knew. And so uh, I, I just raised my hand. I, I thank God I know the answer to that. Someone will raise my hand. As little boys, we played in our neighborhood. We played cops and robbers a lot. Did you ever play that? And somewhere they'd, they'd find you, you'd be found, and they'd say, what? Come out with your hands up. I mean, it's time to surrender. It's, you've been caught. Fans at sporting events, what do we do oftentimes? Uh, our team makes the last winning score, and you just look, the hands are raised, and people are excited because we win. Our team just won the game. I see this in our church all the time, little kids, toddlers, little kids, coming to mom and dad, hands raised, and just say, would you hold me? and lift me up and embrace me. Church, here's what I know. Why do I raise my hands? Why, why is it appropriate in worship to clap, raise our hands, bow down? Here's why. When it comes to the answer, we have the answer. We should have our hands up and say, the questions you're asking, I've got the answer. His name is Jesus. We need to say that. Cops and robbers, listen, Lord, you, your grace has found me. I come before you with hands raised. Why? Because I surrender my life to you. God, I surrender. I give up. I give everything to you. I surrender to you. And God, when I look at the book of Revelation, I read the end. Guess what? We're vict victorious in Jesus. We win. The devil loses. We're on the winning team. We have victory in Jesus because of his death, burial, and resurrection. We win. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you about my life. There are times, personally and even corporately, I just need to come before the Lord with my hands raised to him and say, God, I just need your embrace. I just need to draw near to you. I need to be that intimate with you. Will you touch my life? Here's what I've noticed as well. Uh, I saw it just a couple Sundays ago. 
I've never seen a kid go to his mom or dad, hands raised, needing to be held, and just, you embrace me, and the parents say to that kid, you little charismatic, put your hands down. I've never seen that happen before. Our Heavenly Father is not going to, with hands raised, to say to you and me, you little charismatic, put your hands down. He's going to embrace us as a loving, gentle, compassionate Heavenly Father. And I'm not talking about worship that's out of order. He is a God of order. Appropriate expression in worship. Smiles, tears, clapping, hands raised, bowing before him. Silence at times, just being still before him. That's the how of praise and worship. Then the last one, the who of praise and worship. Psalm 150 gives us that. Look at number one, you and I are worshipers. Verse six, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Take just a moment, breathe in and breathe out. Isn't it good to do that? Your lungs are functioning, your heart is beating. You can see, you can hear. You have breath this morning, so as a result of that, praise the Lord. Praise Him. You and I are worshipers. We don't worship buildings. We don't worship traditions. We worship Him. You and I are worshipers. Number two, biblical worship is a lifestyle. He says at the very end, praise the Lord. You'll notice in this Psalm 150, in these six verses, the word when is absent. We don't just worship him when life is going good and we're on the mountaintop. We worship him at all seasons of life. Let me give you just a, a few just biblical examples. Psalm 34, verse 1. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Church, we know when we're on the mountaintop, let's praise him. When we're in the valley in the storm, let's praise him. I will praise the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, where are they at? They're in a jail cell. They're in the midst of jail. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They're in a jail cell, and they're praising and worshiping the Lord. Here's what happens in the midst of that. When you and I praise and worship the Lord in our storms and the valleys of life, other people are listening. When other people listen, God works. And then when God works, what happens? People get saved as a result of that. So you just praise the Lord in the mountaintops, but also in the valleys. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah. The year that King Uzziah died, it was a time of turbulence, un instability in our country. And what does Isaiah do? Found himself in the temple of God. What does he see? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. But all of a sudden he finds forgiveness because what well, the tongue, he's going to find forgiveness and then he hears a call of God in his life. Happened in the context of worship. Worship God when you're on a mountaintop. Worship him in the valley. Why? Because biblical worship is a lifestyle. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And one of the ways we worship him and praise him is by obedience. We do what he asks us to do. In this room, watching online, if you've never given your life to Christ, the Spirit convicting you to surrender your life to Jesus today, trust him as your Savior. 
you witnessed biblical baptism this morning. Is he convicting you to follow the Lord in believer's baptism? You know Christ. You've been saved, born again. Obey him. This church family, what a wonderful church family, the activity of God in this place. Is he calling you to assemble yourself with us as the family of God? Obey him. Is he calling you to confess a sin in your life, your marriage, your family, even as a church? What does he obey him? Because one of the indications of worship is obedience. And we're just asking you today, because of how marvelous he is, how marvelous he is, how marvelous he is, let's obey him. Let's bow together as we pray. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. All the praise goes to you. Some things, Father, we can only imagine, but we come to this invitation singing how marvelous you are. And God, as we worship today, you're worthy to be praised and worshiped. And I pray in this invitation we will be obedient to you because we want to worship you in spirit and truth because you are worthy. How marvelous, how marvelous, how marvelous you are. And Lord, for those in the room and those who are watching online, I pray for obedience in this invitation that we will draw near to the Lord Jesus and he will change us. We adore you, we honor you, we love you. God, we need your touch on our lives. So we come to you right now because of how marvelous your grace and mercy, how they are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.